Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Iowa Hawkeyes fall to 3-2 and two after a 27-14 loss against number 4 Michigan. David Eichholz, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Here with you for another post-game reaction, Swarmcast analyzing everything that happened during Iowa's loss. Sean, I mean, I know you picked Iowa to win a close game. I picked Iowa to lose close, but you know, in my opinion, Sean, the, the score was not indicative of how close this game was. It was not a close game whatsoever. I think it will we'll break it down, but Michigan scored on four of their first five drives. Iowa did not get over the hundred yard mark until I think around midway through that third quarter, just a really all around game that you just didn't want to see Iowa come out and play after, you know, I think building some momentum, obviously it was against Rutgers, but having a top five team come into Kinnick where Iowa's has so much success over the years, it just wasn't an encouraging performance. And I think that's what fans just wanted. They wanted a reason to be encouraged going into Illinois, going into Ohio state and the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say the last quarter and a half were encouraging, but outside of that, there really wasn't a whole lot in game games are four quarters for a reason. So it was, it was one of those games where Michigan from the jump, like from the first drive, the way that they were running the football and the way that their offensive line just seemed to be dominating the line of scrimmage, like their first one or two, even three drives were they really, I don't think they had a negative gain on any of them. I think they had very minimal negative gains throughout the whole day. And I think one of the main negative – I mean, Iowa had three tackles for a loss, but one of the negative gains was J.J. McCarthy slipping. And, yep. I mean, he was sacked once too, but it really – it seemed like everything for Michigan was what Iowa wants to do offensively in terms of, okay, let's get four to five yards, then let's get like eight, then let's get like three or four or something like that. You know, just positive yardage and not wasted plays, but it seemed like in missed opportunities. It seemed like Michigan, outside of those last – outside of that last quarter, I would say, took advantage of almost every drive they had. Now not every drive ended in a score, but I thought they did a really good job of just dominating the line of scrimmage and just doing something really well on every drive. Well, Iowa, on the other hand, didn't seem to do that. And – I understand the frustration. I'm not ready to hit the panic mode or the panic button yet, but I do understand the frustration with the offense. You know, the run game needs to be there. The offensive line 
they were mo- positive moments. I mean, obviously the penalties didn't help, but there were some moments towards the end of the game where you're kind of like, oof, like this isn't this isn't what it one needs to be. And I thought Michigan's pass for us was pretty good too. I thought Iowa could have had better pass protection. Um, but it's one of those games where outside of that last quarter and a half, there's really not a whole ton you can yeah. take away positively. And, you know, it's it's encouraging to see the offense wake up, but I think Michigan had some of their backup guys in there for part of the third quarter um, or even at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I mean, I'm not saying that was every every position. I noticed a couple linebackers were different, but there just wasn't a whole lot that you could take away positive. It almost just seems like a, a null, null and void game, honestly. Like, yeah. I know there's a lot of frustrations about stuff, but there just wasn't a whole ton that you could take away. I mean, this was probably the one of the weaker – I mean, Iowa had moments on defense where it, it was good, but I think it was one of the weaker defensive performances I've seen with Iowa in terms of production, you know, since I've been covering the team. No question. And, look, I get how everybody wants to talk about the offense, Sean, and rightfully so. I mean, they're probably still going to be dead last tomorrow. Right, they are, but this defense did not play well in that first half. They turned it around the second half, and you know what? My grade, when my post game grades may may have uh, been a little bit harsh, just because of the way the defense turned it around. But Sean, you know what? The biggest, the best defender for Iowa was in that first half. It was the Tiger Hawk logo when JJ McCarthy tripped on that first down on that back pedal. That's the only drive that they didn't score on. They had to punt it away in their first five drives and. The couple stats that really stood out to me. I get if people want to look at stats and the box score and, and take away moral victories, that's their complete right. But Sean, Michigan had as many first downs as Iowa had total plays in the first half. And, and then 18 first downs in the first half, Iowa ran 18 total plays. Their first six drives lasted, I believe, an average of 4.3 plays per drive. You know what that is? Three and out punt. That's four plays. That's where we're at right now with this Iowa offense. And I get, and this is why I wrote my first impressions, and I still stand by it. When you analyze this Iowa offense, I think that it's it's fair to criticize Petrus, I think, especially on those overthrows, those back-to-back overthrows and Iowa had momentum. I mean, Sean, they're wide open. They, they couldn't have been any more wide open. That's a throw that Petrosing made. He has to hit. And I give him credit for being so candid with the media when he talked about, you know, my footwork wasn't right. I got away from some mechanics. I have to hit that. But at the same time, fans are saying, Spencer, your third-year starting quarterback is your fifth year of college. Like, they don't want to hear that your footwork's bad after you've played over 24 career games. Like, that's just not – that's not really an excuse anymore to them. And I understand that. But – with that being said, I do believe there's a hyper-focus on Petrus, and I think that the offensive line is not where it needs to be. That's obvious. The Iowa running game is not consistent. So every minor mistake that Spencer makes because he's the quarterback, Sean, it's going to be picked apart more than the offensive line and more than any missed running back cut. Maybe they should have bounced to the outside. They're only going to criticize Petrus. And again, I'm not saying Petrus doesn't deserve some of the criticism he's been getting. He does. But it really seems like everybody is so hyper-focused on Petrus when people need to take a step back and say, 
Iowa had 34 rushing yards today. They shot themselves in the foot. The offensive line didn't protect, especially in that fourth quarter. Petrus can't deliver a good ball when he's getting crushed every other play. And that was very evident on a couple of those drives. And then I know people say, well, Iowa should have a more mobile quarterback. That's apparent. But that does not dismiss the fact that Iowa's offensive line needs to give him a chance to succeed. That's the scheme that Iowa's playing with. They need to be able to execute that scheme. Petrus' criticism is valid, but it is far, far, far deeper than simply Spencer Petrus. Right, yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to see the pro football focus grades tomorrow and to look over some of the film because you can kind of point out certain spots where um, this Iowa offensive line struggled and really the whole offense struggled. But I, like I said before, I think it's a hat. I give a bigger hat tip to Michigan than I do Iowa. I mean, we cover Iowa, so we have to, you know, point out some of the flaws and point out some of the positives. But Michigan, man, like they looked like a team that could really challenge Ohio State from a just like solid team standpoint. Like they didn't make many mistakes outside of a couple, you know, maybe coverages or, you know, certain things on offense where it could have been better. You know, J.J. McCarthy maybe making some of those throws like Blake Corum. Oh, my God. The way that he was able to hit the hole and like see which gaps were open, see which lanes were open, like even if there were very little space, like he could just tell that those line, like those gaps were going to open, those holes were going to open for him. And the Michigan offensive line too, I thought that was one of the most impressive offensive line performances I have seen in college football, like in my, you know, whole history of watch or my whole life of watching college football, the way that they were able to get movement up front and really disrupt Iowa's offensive line. Now you got to give credit to Blake Corum for reading the different holes and making them look good. But, oh, my goodness, like that offensive line was getting so much push. And, you know, McCarthy was getting the ball out at a at a good time. But there were some moments where, you know, he was just kind of sitting there in the pocket. And Iowa yep. was like, I mean, that's one of those things where you, if you're Phil Parker, yes, you're frustrated. Obviously, defense could have been better. But, man, like that Michigan offensive line looked very, very good. And Michigan yeah. in general, J.J. McCarthy is going to be a really good player. Um, the tight ends I thought for Michigan were really impressive too. And that was and without that's Eric Hall as well. And he was getting yeah, I think, that's, preseason first team all Big Ten over Laporta. Yeah, and Iowa fans know how much of a weapon tight ends can be. Um, and, I mean, speaking on positives too for Iowa, Luke Lachey I thought was really good. Caleb Johnson, LaShawn Williams had a couple of runs. But like I said before, I mean, I said this on our pregame podcast, Dave. Iowa, when they put those drives together where, you know, they're able to extend the drives, and I know it's cliche, but. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I swear when Iowa doesn't get one or two, you know, productive plays on first and second down, that kind of tells the story of the whole drive because they're not really converting much on third down. No. And, you know, they did a couple times today, which was good to see, but you know, they're, they're not going to convert many third downs. I and mean, Kirk, they did. But Kirk one... basically made it in his post game, Sean. Kirk said in his post game that if they get in a third and long situation, he said, you know, our playbook's not really extensive for that. Well, guess what? You know, with all due respect, Kirk, there's 130 other programs while they're not comfortable. They never want to be in that position. They have go-to plays in those situations. They aren't just going to do a, a halfback draw or an outside zone run and scrap the drive. Because when Iowa gets in those third and long drive, Sean, don't you feel like they just throw in the towel and get ready to punt it because they're so afraid to turn the ball over? Yeah. Um, I, I I see where you're coming from. I do. And, you know, some of those plays too, like I get the frustration, like with Laporta – I think it was one of the ones where it was deep in – or it wasn't too super deep, but it was deeper in Michigan's uh, field, um, side of the field. And I think Peaches threw it maybe like two or three yards behind the line of scrimmage or something. And it wasn't the best ball, but, you know, it just – you'd like to see something more vertical. And I think Iowa maybe picked up another pretty reliable third down weapon in Luke Lachey that we saw today from, you know, our perspective. Maybe that's always been in the bag for Iowa, but I think that's something positive you can take away. I thought Laporta had a couple opportunities. I thought Brody Brecht was, that was good. A very bit. Yeah, he had that drop in the fourth quarter, but just to see Brody yeah. get a couple, couple plays to him, I think that's a good sign. And it comes back to making throws, too. That's one of the big things, too. You got to make those throws. When you're not making those throws, like, that's obviously – it's going to spell your doom. And Iowa, I think, for one of the first times in a while that I saw, had that successful half, halfback draw to LaShawn Williams. I think it was on, like, third and six or third and seven. Yeah, and he picked um, up eight on that third and seven. Yep. Yeah, that went for a first down. And, you know, a lot of people, if Iowa wasn't able to get that first down, people would be like, oh, why are you running? And, like, I get it, but – it's one of those things, too, where you're kind of thinking a step ahead from the defense because they don't expect you – because a halfback draw, the purpose is to, you know, sell pass but then throw – or it might have been a delay. I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a play that worked. And I think the Michigan defense kind of dropped back in zone coverage a little bit um, and weren't ready for the run. So, you know, th- those are some positives. Special teams was there. Torrey Taylor, I felt like, had some good punts. Um but yeah, man, like it's rough right now. For, luckily, luckily for Iowa, the Big Ten West is weird. The Big Ten West is weird. And, you know, Illinois, that game next week becomes a whole lot more important with the way that Illinois is playing, with the way that Iowa is playing. Can we because... talk about how Wisconsin had two rushing yards today, Sean? Yeah, that's wild to me. Two. Wisconsin. This ain't college, our college days, Illinois football team. Sean, I right now, I can't believe I'm saying this. Illinois is probably the best team in the Big Ten West. I mean, they've probably proven the most. I mean, Minnesota today. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I, I don't trust Purdue. 
I posted on our message board. I was like, oh, big time West, like right after the game. I didn't realize Minnesota lost. I kind of banked them in on winning. And I was like, so did I. people were like, uh, are you sure about Minnesota? I was like, oh my God. Like <laughs> I just checked the scores and I was thrown off by it. But yeah, man, like this conference, this side of the conference is just weird. It's weird. It well, I mean, this is, if you're Iowa, like these are, this is the type of thing that you got to take advantage of. And you're one in one in conference play. Luckily for you, everyone else except Northwestern has a loss in your side of the division. Um, so there's still chances like Minnesota proved they were beatable. Wisconsin has proven they're beatable. Illinois, you know, lost to Indiana, but Illinois is looking like a really good team right now. Purdue, you know, hit or miss. Minnesota, but yeah, hit or miss, right? Um, Northwestern is going to be Northwestern. Nebraska is going to be Nebraska. Yeah. So there are like, it, <laughs> it's like, I mean, we, we knew, we knew the Big Ten West was going to be a whoever wins or whoever loses three games in conference play is going to win. But man, like, it's looking like four right now, honestly. It's a cluster. It's wild. It's a cluster. It's wild. And something I want to bring up for a bright spot for Iowa, because, again, I got blasted for giving Iowa really bad grades. Jay Higgins, I thought, played fantastic, Sean, in his extended role in the defense, seven tackles. And obviously next year it's going to be a huge boost of Justin Jacobs' returns, which I anticipate he will. But losing Seth Benson, losing Jack Campbell, it looks like Iowa's going to lock and reload. I thought Sebastian Castro played all right today. And then you have Jay Higgins, who – just has a nose for the football, Sean, especially in that running game. I really thought there were a couple of times where he made some really nice stops, stood the Blake Corum straight up. And, you know, again, it's it's hard to take away too many positives. I think Iowa's defense, the second half, the way they turned it around is very positive. And I know people, again, blasted me for giving Iowa's passing offense an F. But, again, if you look at the fourth quarter, I don't know if all of Michigan starters were in. They were playing prevent defense, and I think you need to give Spencer some credit because he, I thought he did a nice job of kind of analyzing him and taking what the defense gave him at that point. And again, it goes far deeper than Petrus, Sean, but it, it, it it's it, puff stats don't matter to me. It, that's the way I grade it. Like once the game's over and you get stats after, it doesn't matter to me because when each team was going full force, not trying to run out the clock. That's when it matters. And Iowa failed to show up in that in that regard, I think, today. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, like I said, I mean, it was positives in the last quarter and a half, but first quarter, man, like Michigan came out with like everything that we said Iowa needed to do to tame Michigan. Like Michigan exploited that. And that's not something you see often with this Iowa defense. Like we thought this Iowa defense would be the reason that Iowa won today, and it was it was close. But, I mean, it wasn't really close, but the offense, I thought, showed up in the second half, which was good. Obviously, timing was bad. But I think it's one of those games, too, where, you know, that we, we expect we, – I, I said Iowa would win because I thought the defense would play better. I thought the defense would be able to create turnovers the way it has this year, the way it had last year. And I thought the offense would do what it did today, but be a little bit better throughout the whole game. Yeah. And it could have been, 
And I mean, we, a lot of people expected this, like a lot of people expected Michigan to come out. I mean, Michigan was a more talented team. No like, question. We know that. No question. We know that Michigan was a more talented team, but they just, they just came out and just kind of proved that right off the bat. And it just didn't have the vibe that, you know, Iowa We've was had going in the to knock off. Yes. Yes. And that's, I'm not saying that's a knock on the team. I think it's more indicative of how good Michigan is. Um, yep, I agree with that but too. Man, like, if Michigan just came out and did. I mean, the all score three phases. Wasn't, yeah, all three phases. I mean, special teams, Iowa didn't really have to do. Like, I mean, they punted the ball five times. Drew Stevens, I thought, was really good with touchbacks because that's one of the big things with kickers. Um, yep. But man, like, Michigan had a couple of really nice punts. Like, they were really good in coverage. I think Iowa missed some tackles in coverage, too. Like, all three phases, Michigan just came out, and it wasn't even, like, a dominate. Like, it like it wasn't a domination where it's, like, 50 nothing. Like, Michigan just looked like the better better team and more, like, the more put together polished, team. The more talented. Yeah. They had a quarterback that's a game changer. Yes. I think Iowa can maybe get to that point. Not the way that Michigan is, but I think certain things. I mean, defensively, I think they're going to be fine in the Big Ten West. I'm not worried about the defense. Special no teams, I'm not worried about the defense. Offensive line needs to get better. The run game, especially in the Big Ten West, needs to get better because if you can open up the run game, then you can get the pass going, and that's going to be huge in the Big Ten West. And you know, that's if that's if you get that to click then you are going to be fine. But it just hasn't clicked. And, you know, maybe yeah. the last quarter and a half is a good sign of what could become, you know, this passing attack. But we got to see it. And if we don't, like – It's – I mean, like I've seven. said from the start, Sean, I mean, Iowa – if Iowa doesn't defend the Big Ten West, it's a failure season. And that was the regard that I put because they returned so much talent. And outside of Purdue, I really like this point you brought up, Sean. When you talk about how important the passing offense is in the Big Ten West, outside of Purdue, who's a great, who's a good passing offense in the Big Ten West? It's certainly not Wisconsin. Yeah. It's not Minnesota. Now, it's not all Minnesota's fault. They're received. I mean, they're just down, they're injured. Chris Hotman Bell's her, I mean, Tommy and, DeVito had a pretty good day today, didn't he? Tommy DeVito? I mean, yeah, but I, and I understand. I think Tommy has DeVito. A Danny DeVito's cousin, as you like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, I think it's formidable. Nebraska probably has the second best passing offense in the, in the West. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think they got a lot of talent on the perimeter, but. Not, that's why that's what I'm saying. Like it, it Iowa has to find a way to pass the football. And yeah. I think it goes back to the offense. I think it goes back to the route trees. And I know people Keegan, clowned on us for having Deontay Vines coming back after the bye week. And obviously he'll have to get back into he's been able to run and run routes and stuff. He just can't catch anything, which I do think is important. They need all the weapons they can get. And, and you and I heard the same thing. He was balling out in fall camp. And at this point, you got to see what sticks. Yeah. I I do think some of the uh, – there is potential with some of the guys that receiver this this week. Nico thought had a couple nice catches. Yep. Um, Brody 
Brecht, Laporta, Lachey. Like, there were a number of guys that had really good plays. But it's just like you got to stack it together. You got to be consistent. You can't have these three and outs. You can't have these four-play drives or, you know, yep. quick drives. Like, quick drives are killers for – I mean, because then the defense is on the field nonstop too. It's yeah, and that's the other part I was gonna bring up too. I mean, Sean, like I said, Iowa was on the field for 18 plays. Their offense is on the field for 18 plays in the first half. On the flip side, let me do the math real quick. Michigan had 43 first half plays. That's not, I mean, that's not that's not sustainable. Michigan had the ball for more than 20 minutes in the first half. That's not sustainable. So again, it's not all Petrus. It's not, it's a combination of things, but the crazy part is, and I know we keep hounding on this offense, Sean, and this is where it comes down to accountability. And I want to get into Caleb Johnson for a second in a second, but it comes down to accountability. Iowa has to change their scheme for what they have, because I I'm going to sound absolutely bonkers when I say this, but Sean, if we're going by recruiting rankings, just pure recruiting rankings, this is one of the most talented Iowa offenses in the Kirk Ferentz era from a pure star recruiting standpoint, like they have pieces, they have four-star receivers, high three-star receivers. They have four-star offensive linemen. They have Caleb Johnson, who I think was a four-star running back. I mean, they got guys, Sam Laporta, Luke Lachey was a top two, four, seven, top one fifty guy. He was an all American tight end. Like Iowa talent wise is not bad. It's the scheme and execution. And I think that's what's blowing people's minds more than anything else about why can't this offense move the football? Yeah, man, something, something's got to give. Maybe Big Ten West play will open things up. Maybe Big Ten West will be encouraging. But, I mean, injuries certainly don't help. I agree like with that. Having, I, think, I think the Gavin Williams saga is a little weird, too, because I don't think he had a carry today. I know he's not. still kind of battling. Yeah, I know he's still battling injuries a little bit, but – I mean, Caleb Johnson's done a really good job stepping up. I thought LaShawn Williams had a couple of really nice hard runs today. But, man, it's like there's some areas where, you know, Iowa, you feel like they could be really good. But, man, like they're just missing that something. Like it's something. They need that game changer, and they just don't have they it do. right now. And, you know, I it's not that they need Petrus. And, again, I'm going to talk about Petrus, but I'm not. I Again, it goes deeper in that. But, Sean, they need some sort of mobility. They need a guy on the team that can just put it on their back. You look at teams around the country, game breaker on offense that just says, hey, I'm going to go Willis to a win. I'm going to go Willis on this drive. And I do think that Caleb Johnson has that capability. And Joel Klott said today he predicted that Caleb Johnson is going to be the number one back by the end of the year. And I think he's going to take a very Tyler Goodson approach because that size and speed, Sean, I just don't see how you can't make him the premier back this season eventually. I love LaShawn as the backup, by the way. I think he's done some really, really nice things as well. Yeah. No, I, I like how uh, how Caleb's able to run, and he, he kind of makes it look effortless in some ways. I don't know if that was just a touchdown runs, but I thought he's had a really couple good, you know, runs, and that's been good to see, but you know, offensive line, I think, you know, they showed some good stuff today, but it it's not consistent enough, and that's what's going to kill you. Got to be consistent. That's that's one of the big things. I know, you know, a lot of people are like, all right, it's easy. It's easy for us to say that, and it's easy for us to, you know, mention all that stuff, but 
like that that's going to be the key like offensive yeah. line play and once they figure out the rotations and you know everything it's i, I still think like i don't want to hit the panic button yet but i'm close on a scale of one to here, I do want to pose this question before we sign off, Sean. On a scale of one to ten, how big of a must win is Illinois? It's ten. That's that's ten. I mean, I know it's still early in the season. I think based on the way the Big Ten West is, like the rest of your like games are beatable outside of Ohio State. I, I do think like they can maybe challenge Ohio State if something is shown, but. As of now, like from a pure morale standpoint, Illinois is a huge game. I'm curious if Illinois is ready to embrace being the Big Ten West favorite. And I think that's going to have a big factor as well. But again, we'll, we'll dive yeah. into it more in our preview pod. But this is Brett Bielema's first chance since he's been at Illinois to coach against Iowa. There's going to be a lot of motivation. He didn't coach last year due to COVID. He had COVID. I mean, yeah. I mean, winning at Wisconsin, he's probably got that monkey off his back. Now beating, I mean, if he was going to Iowa City, that would be, yeah. Like if Illinois wasn't showing what they could, or you know, have a ceiling potentially, like that would be, you know, like the Super Bowl for him. But it seems like now, like with the experience he has, and you know, with the wins that he had at he's Wisconsin, done a really like, nice job with that team. He has, and you know, he's a really good coach. You know, recruiting could be a little bit better, but. You know, it's how to coach his guys, and that's what you want. I'm with you. I think it's a 10. I'll dive more into why again during our preview pod, but if you want to win the Big Ten West, and I know how crazy that sounds right now because we've watched Iowa's offense, but Iowa's still in the thick of it. They still got to play their Big Ten West opponents, and guess what? None of them are marginally a lot better than Iowa. They're not because I just think the Big Ten West is that bad. But from a pure morale standpoint, like you said, Sean, if Iowa can't beat Illinois, they're going in. I remember there's the bye week between Ohio State, but I believe Ohio State has the same bye week as Iowa. But if after that Ohio State game, and if Iowa doesn't beat Illinois, Sean, guess what? They're three and four. They're three and four coming down the Big Ten West home stretch. And from a morale standpoint, I mean, that's not winning a football game in the entire month of October and having one final chance against Northwestern in Kinnick. So a lot of things to dissect. I, I, again, it's not a pretty, it's not a, was not a pretty product on the field. I think this is a big, big, big week for Iowa in the 2022 season. And uh, we'll be sure to dive into all that in the next swarm cast, but until then, follow us on Twitter at David Eichel, at SBOC247, at Hawkeyes on 24-7. And be sure to stay tuned to 24-7 Sports and Hawkeye Insider for all your Iowa football, basketball, recruiting news, as well as college athletics. Until next time, talk to you soon. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.